you have your copy of Scripture this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews chapter 1. We're looking this morning at um, Hebrews 1, 1 through uh, chapter 2, verse 4. And starting a, a series on the book of Hebrews called Christ is Overall. And uh, over the next few months we'll be working our way through this great book of Hebrews. If you've never read it, or maybe you haven't read it in quite some time, let me encourage you to take some time over the next few weeks to, um, to read through this book. Maybe, uh, maybe just a little time. That they're not long chapters. In fact, it's not uh, a really long book. It's shorter than uh, some of the Gospels. But take some time and read through it, uh, maybe a little bit uh, over each week. Now, just a warning uh, in that I started reading that through this week, and uh, once I started, I couldn't stop. So it's just a kind of heads up that you may go, oh, I'm just going to read a chapter, but one chapter just easily flows into the next chapter and the next chapter, and um, before long, uh, you've read from the beginning to the end uh, Hebrews, which is not a bad thing, right? Uh, that, that's a good thing to go ahead and read through. So every time you, you start reading through Hebrews, you may end up reading through uh, the entire book. It is a great book uh, and a lot of uh, good stuff for you. In fact, a um, bit of uh, confession is that uh, my family, who, um, who kn- my family know me, obviously, uh, pretty well, and they know that, that's always a good thing, I guess, um, but they know that I just, I don't cry, okay? No, it's nothing against crying, I just, I usually, I, I just, you can't cry. It's not like I don't have a heart or anything. I do feel the stuff, but I usually can't cry, but I have to admit that uh, last night as I, was, I read through uh, this particular passage in, uh, well, all of uh, chapters 1 and 2 uh, several times, I went through a time where I read through it about four times in a row, and I started crying. Now, I'm not, saying, I'm not just saying you're going to have to break out your tissues as you read this, but it's some powerful stuff in this great book talking about who Christ is and what he was willing to endure for each of us who Christ is and the authority and the majesty and the power that Christ has and his willingness to lay that down and to endure the pain of the cross to buy our freedom. And I know I have said this many times, but when I sit and think of who God is in the light of who I am, man, that's humbling. And again, that admission that brought a tear to my eye. In fact, it's such a foreign thing. I'm sitting here reading, and I'm reading through Hebrews 1 and 2, and I'm going, oh, what's, what's happening here? Yeah, there's this tear coming to my eye, but it's such a beautiful thing about who Christ is and what he's done for us, and I hope that you experience similar things as we work our way uh, through this passage together. Now, we don't know a lot about uh, who is the author of Hebrews. Uh, it's one of those things that's been contested probably since... Uh, the time of, of the early church. Uh, the book itself doesn't really tell us um, who was the author. Many have thought uh, the apostle named you know, Paul. Uh, the apostle was, um, was the author. Uh, Arrhenius and Clement of Alexandria, some of the early uh, church historians and writers thought maybe Paul was the, the writer of this book. Uh, in time of the Reformation, Martin Luther challenged that and he thought that Apollos, who was a teacher and preacher at the time, uh, and a very learned, educated man, uh, must have wrote Hebrews. 
um, it seems that it originally wasn't written in Greek, uh, but was translated into Greek. And some say, well, Peter translated into Greek. Some say Apollos did. We don't really know. Okay, so the importance isn't uh, the author of this, other than the fact that God Himself ordained uh, the words of these scriptures. Now, again, the, the date of the book itself is hard to uh, to verify. We would think probably. 50 to 60 A.D. It was written about uh, by the historian Eusebius around uh, in the early 90s uh, A.D. And so we know it was around uh, before that time and in circulation. But we do know that uh, very clearly in the book of Hebrews, the audience is the Hebrew people. Uh, the people of God, the, uh, the Jewish people written about uh, all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the original title, as far as we can tell, of this book was actually called To the Hebrews. So that kind of says it, doesn't it, who it's for? It was written to the, the Hebrew people, and he begins in the very early verses we'll see to talk about our ancestry as, as the people of God, as the, the Hebrew people whom God has chosen uh, to share his message of hope with the world. So uh, let's begin by just looking at verses 1 to 4 and talking about Jesus is himself God's word made flesh. Let me read for you uh, verses 1 to 4. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, begins like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Let me just stop and lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly God, I thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word. I pray, Lord, that you lead us through it now and that your Holy Spirit teach us your ways, that we recognize who you are and your great love for us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this, uh, the first four verses, I think, what an intro uh, into the story. It talks about who God is. Uh, who Jesus is and how God uses him uh, to speak uh, the very words of God, uh, the, the word of God uh, made flesh. I love verse 3. It says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. It's, um, in fact, these first few verses are good kind of summary of the whole book of Hebrews. Now, don't just say you've read the first four verses so you know what all the Hebrews is about uh, because we want you to read through the book. But all of the book is talking about the, the power and the supremacy of Jesus Christ and that he is over all, but that he cares for you and for me. Christ over all. The God of all the universe loves you and loves me. So much so that he would give his own life on a cross for our sins. Now, we know that in the Old Testament, God spoke to uh, the Hebrew people, uh, the, the Jewish people, uh, all throughout uh, in the different prophets, 
And uh, the writer here begins by saying, we, we know how God spoke to our ancestors before uh, through the different prophets, uh, Amos and Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Hosea, uh, etc. Lots of different prophets that God used to, to speak His Word. But it says, now in these, in these later days, in this time of, uh, of the church, God speaks through Jesus Christ. God's Word made flesh. And it says Christ was present from the very beginning at creation and participated in creations. All things that came to existence came to existence by God but through Christ Jesus. And in Genesis chapter 1, it says over and over how God spoke and things came into existence. All things that have ever existed came into existence by God breathing and God speaking. And here it says Jesus is that spoken word of God in the flesh. He is the heir of all things. He is all power and all authority of God himself. And in fact, is the exact representation of God uh, was here when he was here on earth. So although they knew him, uh, the people, that the Hebrew people he's speaking to, knew of Jesus as the man. The writer is very clear to show Jesus is more than just the man. He is God himself in flesh. Yes, perfectly man, but perfectly God. Heir of all things, the exact representation of God, and he holds all things together with his word, with just his breath. With the words he speaks, with the breath from his lungs, Jesus holds the entire universe together. Now that's a lot of power, isn't it? That's a lot of power. I, I just think it's exciting to see the God it is that we serve and to, to, to recognize right from the very beginning of this book who God is, who Jesus is, that God sent Jesus as, as His very Word, as representative of Him, to show us who God is. And all His power and all His majesty and all of His glory. And then He moves into the next few verses in, chapter, in verses 5 to 14 to talk about how Jesus is, is more superior uh, than, than all the angels in heaven. Verse 5 to 14 says this, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son... He says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And he also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not the, all the angels ministering spirits to serve those who will inherit salvation? Now let me begin this section by saying, this talks a lot about 
angels, doesn't he? About the existence of angels, about uh, the reasons uh, for the purpose for their, their being, that, that God has called them into existence. It says that angels are created by God to be his messengers, to praise him, to, to, to serve him, and to serve God's children. And verse 14 says they are called to, uh, they're sent to serve those who inherit salvation. They protect God's people, they direct God's people, support and lead them to God. But none, none of these angels who surround the throne of God, none of these angels who were sent as special messengers to earth with God's message, none of these are greater than Christ. Jesus is greater than them all. They bring a message of salvation and hope because they're sent to serve those who are inheriting this salvation. But Christ is the salvation. Jesus is God's Son whom He loves who came to pay the price for our sin to bring about our salvation, our mercy. He was the only pure and holy one without spot or blemish who was willing and able to pay the price for our sins. And so while the angels are powerful and the angels are strong and the angels all throughout the Bible bring great messages of hope and deliverance and, and, and assurance of the power of God, Jesus is himself the exact representation of God. He is the power of God. He is the salvation he is our hope. Jesus is worshipped by the angels, it says. Jesus, it says, sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, it says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Immutable, unchanging God. We serve a powerful, a powerful God in Christ Jesus. Look with me where that leads to. It says, Jesus is our salvation. In chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, it says this. We must pay attention. Sorry, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit that were distributed according to His will. You know by now that if I see that word therefore, I usually look and say, what is that word therefore, therefore? And in this particular uh, beginning of, of chapter 2, it says, we must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. Now, sometimes, as we look at that word, therefore, you can just look at the verse just before that and see what it's, what it's meaning. But it's not just talking about angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Therefore, pay attention so you don't drift away. But he's talking about all of the preceding chapter when he, when he mentions who Jesus is the exact representation of God. God in all of His glory, His power, and His strength. God in flesh, more powerful and superior than any of the angels. Salvation Himself has come to us. Therefore, do not ignore so great of a salvation which is given to us. 
And he mentions here the message which is spoken by the angels and delivered to them by the angels. They considered holy and they follow that. And it's a reference to, uh, to the Ten Commandments really given in the Mosaic Law, which was a key to the, the Hebrew people, the laws that they made sure that they followed. In fact, some of the early uh, Jewish people in the, the, the New Testament times made up additional rules to make sure that they followed each of the Ten Commandments. And so they, they took each of the Ten Commandments and then made additional rules so if they followed all their rules, they'd make sure that they're following God's rules. And these laws and these messages that they'd received all throughout the Old Testament, the Bible says repeatedly were, were given uh, through the angels or delivered through God's messengers. Deuteronomy 33 verse 2 speaks of this. Acts chapter 7 verse 53 and Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 talk about God's messengers bring uh, the word to the people and they consider those laws sacred and follow them so that they could have salvation, so that they could follow God's plan and receive His grace. The people knew the power and the authority of the law which was given through these angels. But how much more are they then to respect a message that comes from salvation Himself or one that is higher than the angels? He said, you respect the message that comes from angels and, and you consider that as something that you need to follow uh, to receive a salvation and grace from God. How much more then should you listen to Jesus Christ? Should you see what Christ himself has done for you? Because he has all power and authority over the angels. They worship him. They serve him. And he himself is the salvation, is our hope. And so pay attention to who Jesus is and what Christ has done for us so that you do not drift away or sway. Now this passage in, uh, in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, it talks about drifting away or sway. It's actually talking about an intentional moving away uh, from one's faith rather than simply uh, not following a strict law like the, like the Ten Commandments. Saying, make sure you recognize who Jesus is and what he's done for you so that you don't turn away from that faith. Now, it seems that some of the original audience here uh, to this, this writing was in danger of, of turning away from the hope that they could receive through Christ, turning away from that salvation which is offered through Jesus Christ. They were not taking God's offer of life through Christ very seriously. They did not recognize how great a salvation was available to them. And so we're making a grave mistake, a great mistake, in that they were leading to death instead of life. And as a church, even today, we have to be very careful as, as a church of God that we not get so caught up in, in serving God and, and even in, in worshiping Him, so caught up in, in, in our Christian circle of, of friends or so comfortable with our worship and our ministry times that we forget who Jesus is and what He's done for us. Jesus is God's Word in flesh. God in flesh, the exact representation of of God. He is holy. He is perfect. He is pure. He is sovereign. He's a sovereign God revealed to us. Jesus is higher than the angels. The angels worship Him. The angels serve Him. They proclaim salvation through Him. But He is our salvation. He is our hope. Jesus is our salvation. 
reminded of that old song so dearly loved. It says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved an old wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It is only through Jesus that we have that salvation. It is only through Jesus that we have that hope of eternal life, the security of eternal life because of what He has done for us. Because I am a sinner. We all sin and fall short of God's glory. But He is perfect and holy and just but, but gracious. And while he, there, there's a punishment for sin, Jesus Christ, the only holy and perfect one, came to earth to bring God's message of hope and love for all people. And He died on the cross so that we didn't have to. So that any who trust in Him can have life, eternal life, through Jesus Christ. God is our hope. Christ is our salvation. He is superior in every way. In fact, superior to all things. And we'll go throughout the book. See, he's, he's superior to any of the, the priests or the high priests. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to any military or government leader. Christ is over all. And He is our salvation. He is our hope. He is our security. Many of you, in fact, probably all of you, at times have put your hope in people who have let you down. Right? We all do it, don't we? You don't have to name names or anything. You don't have to point at the person here who's let you down. But we've all been let down at different times, haven't we? We put our hope in our own plans sometimes, and those don't, they, they just fall apart, don't they? In fact, sometimes it seems like when all our plans are, fall, are, are falling into place and everything's working out, that we're just going, oh, hold on, I better watch out because something's going to just unravel or, or fall all apart. Now, I'm not trying to be negative and saying, wow, you don't make plans and you don't put your trust in people. I, I'm a very trusting person. In fact, some people say I'm too trusting. I just trust anyone and everyone unless someone gives me some excuse I guess not to. And sometimes I have to learn from that and then move on. And I just keep on trusting the next person. Because I think, well, this person's not going to let me down. This person's going to go. Now, I, I think you should be able to trust people. I think you should be able to make plans and all that. But we have to recognize that when we put our trust in things of this world... At times, we're going to be let down. At times, they're not going to come through for us. Those plans may not come through for us. Those people may not come through for us. But I want to tell you, I want to tell you with great assurance, God is not like that. God is not like that. When you put your hope in Him, when, when we say Christ is our salvation, we go, this isn't a maybe Christ will save you. This isn't a you might make it to heaven if you decide to follow Him. This is absolutely ironclad stuff. It's saying if you put your trust in Jesus, you have your ticket to heaven. You have your ticket to be with God for all of eternity. It doesn't matter the sins that you've done. It doesn't matter the times when you've fallen away from God because Jesus is more powerful than any of that. He's more powerful than our mistakes. He's greater than the enemy which tries to deceive us and say that we're not good enough. He tries to deceive us and say that you're not lovely enough to be part of the church or to minister in His name. You're not good enough to receive His grace. The reality is, in some of that, Satan tells the truth, which is weird, isn't it? But he tells the truth and says, you're not good enough. 
And you're not strong enough because none of us are. But we have to step back and say, you're right, Satan. I'm not good enough and I'm not strong enough. But Jesus is. And I don't put my trust in what I, in how I live. I don't put my trust in my own securities. I put my trust in Jesus Christ, who is the most powerful thing in all of creation. Jesus is God himself. He breathed everything into existence. And it is in Jesus that we have hope. It is in Jesus that we have security. It is in Jesus that I ground my faith. Too long the church has tried to ground our faith in how we feel on any given, given Sunday. And I can guarantee some of you woke up this morning and go, oh, I just don't feel like it today, God. Please don't let it be Sunday. And then you look over and see the diary and go, oh, I've got to go to church again. I've got to do this, this thing. And some of you don't feel like being Christian when, when people are, are hard to love. You don't feel like being Christians when, when the kids are screaming and you're, you're going to pull your hair out. It's happened to me many times. <laughs> you don't feel like always in the, in the mood do you, to be Christian, to be, to be loving, to be gracious. And I want to say our faith isn't based on our feelings on any given day. Our faith is based, our security is based in Jesus Christ and He alone. He is our salvation. He is our hope. And this book, this powerful book, begins by saying, remember who Jesus is. Now, I know I'm going to go into a little kid's movie here. But if you've ever seen, if you've ever seen The Lion King, okay? This Lion King is, is this great, powerful king. Obviously, he's a lion. His name is Mufasa, which just sounds powerful, doesn't it? Mufasa. He's just a powerful king. But his son, Simba, because Mufasa dies when Simba's just a little child. And Simba forgets who he is, that he's, he's in the line of the king, that he is the king's child. That, that power and majesty that he was in awe of as a child is actually his to lead him in his life and will lead him to be a great king. So there's a great scene in which the, the clouds kind of roll in and he's going, oh, Dad, you, you're not there for me and you said you would be and these clouds kind of roll in and Mufasa appears in the clouds and he simply says to him, Son, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And as the clouds kind of fade, this, this young king realizes that he is in that line of, of the king and uh, that power and, and authority is his to serve. And his father will be looking on uh, with all that he does. Now I say that to say we serve one that's far, far greater than Mufasa. We serve one who walks with us every single day, who, who strengthens us and, and empowers us and, and just wants us to stop sometimes and recognize whose we are. And he wants to remind us that we are children of the King. We are sons and daughters of the God Most High because of Jesus Christ. We, we are heirs, co-heirs with Christ of God's power and majesty and authority. He ministers through us. He ministers through us as we are willing to serve, as we are willing to remember who He is. As we work our way through this book over the next few weeks, I want to challenge you to remember who Jesus is, his superiority, his power, his majesty, and his great love for each of us.